You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brew Hoop, Frank Madden. Frank, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening? I'm good. Um, and I, I, I know I didn't tell you that I wanted to uh, explain this weird inside joke that I think of every time you do the intro, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it. Okay. Um, so uh, for our listeners, um, they, they will not be aware of this because this has been sort of an offline joke uh, of ours. But uh, I, I think I've told you that, you know, initially I feel like at times at some point I've seen like ESPN Milwaukee be a thing versus ESPN Wisconsin. <laughs> and you now you now consistently say that you uh, work for ESPN Wisconsin. Correct. Um, and. At some point, I've like in my mind sort of joked uh, about you working for other ESPN outlets like ESPN Ashwaubenon, <laughs> ESPN Oconomowoc. Um So then, ev- basically, every day when you say American name from ESPN Milwaukee or Wisconsin, I it, try to think of a new city <laughs> to for you to be from the ESPN affiliate from from that uh, for, from for that day. So. If you if you hear me kind of chuckling to myself, it's because I'm telling myself a really like bad little inside joke about who your employer is, Eric. So that's what location uh, that's, did that's you choose you... today? Uh, today was Oconomowoc. Okay. I, I usually I've I've been defaulting. ESPN Ashwaubenon has been consistently <laughs> on my brain for some reason of late. Um, but uh, I don't know. I need to, I need to think of some some fresh ones. Um, Maybe tomorrow we'll. Uh, how about ESPN Oostberg tomorrow? <laughs> there's a number of um, good ones. There's a yeah. there, there's a really a lot of great Wisconsin town names. Uh, yeah. So really, any of them will be fine. And I feel as though I serve all of them. So um, really, if if anyone wants wants to you know get in touch with me, I'm I'm more than happy to serve all of those ESPN <laughs> outlets uh, here in the great state of Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> This is this is a uh, off-season time killing, uh, is, what, is what this is. Um, we're gonna we're gonna figure out a way to 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 drag you through an hour-long podcast, no matter how little things are happening in the world of the Milwaukee Bucks. No, we're not trying to do that. Okay, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna shut up. You have an agenda. What what are we gonna talk about? Well, I don't know if I really have a full-on agenda, but there are topics to talk about today. Um, so, the Bucks keep interviewing folks uh, today was Mike Boonholzer Day. Uh, that was reported this time not by Adrian Wojnarowski, but instead by Gary Wolfel, uh, who says that the Bucks uh, went through the process with with him today. Um, and, I mean, it, it does seem like we aren't really seeing multiple names in one day and just one one person per day. And I guess it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I, 
obviously you can interview more candidates in a shorter period of time if you do two per day. But also I feel like with a head coaching like position, wouldn't you want to spend an entire day with that person? Like, again, yeah. I've never, I've never interviewed a head coach before. Um, I've well, never. That's not true. You interview head coaches before every game, Eric. This, this is true, um, but I've never interviewed uh, a prospective <laughs> head coach. Of, think for... of all the quality time you've had with Jason Kidd over the last few years. I, you know what? Now that you think about it, maybe you don't want to spend a day with a head yeah. coach. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess it's a, to me it, it sort of makes sense, right? That you'd want to spend as much time as possible. Uh, maybe open up with a nice lunch, then uh, a full day of basketball activities, and then. Uh, head out for a nice dinner uh, to get to know that person even better. But I guess to me, it, it does kind of make sense. And uh, I know there's always like, oh, should you get it done quick? Like, how many guys should you have in per day? Like, how many coaches do you want to interview? But to me, I guess it does make sense that you'd want to spend a, a full day with someone. Uh, so that's what they did with Mike Boonholzer today. And uh, we're able to interview him. And I guess for you, does Boonholzer feel like the guy because it certainly in the last couple of days like as i've looked at the list and kind of thought about um all these things it feels like certainly the guy on buck's twitter uh has kind of turned into boonholzer over the last few days and i guess for me it does seem like of those people on that list like that's probably the guy I'm most comfortable with. Where are you at? Yeah, I, I think he's, again, sort of like this safe option. Um, and, and I think, I, I thought the conversation we had yesterday uh, about Budenholzer versus Clifford and, you know, sort of, I think it, it was an interesting conversation because I think I would still put Budenholzer ahead of Clifford. But when you kind of question sort of the, you know, infallibility of Budenholzer against kind of a lot of other candidates, um, it's an interesting question. I think it underscores sort of this this whole idea of how much do we really know about how these guys translate and and how much of you know coaching and a guy's history in particular, like of his results, how much of that is is really controlled by him versus uh, you know circumstances and luck and what he happened to be dealing with from a roster standpoint, who is you know ownership and GM and uh, front office were at the time. Um, there's just a lot of confounding variables as you try to unpack, you know, what a coach is and what, what they mean. And, um, you know, I was excited when I saw Ben Falk of cleaning the glass fame, uh, send out his weekly newsletter. And it was on essentially that exact topic of like, what is a coach worth? And Ben is a super intelligent. He's worked for the Blazers and the Sixers. He is a very thoughtful analyst of the game and, and extremely intelligent. And I read, I don't I like a, you know, five, seven minutes worth of an article read the whole thing i, I don't think i learned anything it was basically <laughs> him kind of shrug him kind of shrugging his shoulders it's sort of you know that uh, uh, i don't know it's kind of hard to, to really tease apart what what a coach means and i think that you know there have been other studies in the past that sort of have indicated there's probably maybe a small a small number of coaches who make a meaningful difference and then i think you know to borrow uh, again from our friend steve on horn's vernacular like there's probably a lot more blob coaches than than maybe you'd think. Yeah. Um, although I've I've also heard the suggestion that there are more good coaches in the league now. I think you've heard similar things about there are more good GMs in the league now than there have been in the past. Um, I, I don't know. I, maybe you know. I, I guess I, I I would say it's harder when you look around the league. It's 
it feels like it's harder to say like that team has a crappy GM, that team has a crappy coach. Yeah. Um, it seems like there's maybe less patience than there used to be. Um, and, and maybe sometimes that's, you know, occasionally that's for worse, but, you know, again, if you're, if you're an NBA team and you want to go find, you know, the next Brad Stevens, right? I mean, maybe it, it is sort of this, um, the rash of good young coaches, whether it's Stevens or, uh, you know, Quinn Snyder, et cetera. Um, everybody wants to find that guy. And so if you don't start to look like you might be that guy pretty quick, uh, you're just, you're probably not going to last. And, um, you know, also probably just players and the dominance of players and the fact that, you know, as players become more important, or at least the perception of players, you know, and their importance rises, the, the advent of, you know, or the appreciation of the superstar and what they mean, um, you know, if you need to change things, uh, obviously the coach is always the easier thing to change. So, um, so yeah, it's it's an it's it's an interesting topic, and I think I've kind of digressed by you know multiple degrees from your original question about Budenholzer, but um, it, it does feel like he's sort of like a safe option. You know, yeah. he's won a lot of games, um, at least especially that one year. So he seems like okay, he can figure out how to fully leverage a team that what they had four all stars but no superstars. So that seems to speak well of him. And, and again, I think the development that, you know, generally happened under him with some of the young players uh, was encouraging. But, you know, as you pointed out yesterday, I mean, his offenses weren't good the last few years. It wasn't just last year when, nope. you know, they had, when they had the, the rebuilding year, their offenses were bad the previous two years as well. And they got by on defense and the defense did a lot of things that, you know, maybe would make Bucks fans kind of, um, be a little concerned because of you know, and again, I, <laughs> they're I, fast. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, I, I want mind, I'm mindful of our friend Adam McGee from Behind the Buck Pass, who noted that you know it's not like Budenholzer was using like kid system and just happened to have it be successful. I mean, he did different things, and they were differing levels of aggressiveness over time, and he adapted depending on his personnel. But um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I I, I can't say I, I can't really say that any of these coaches. I really have certainty over what they're going to be about when, you know, when they ultimately, if they ultimately became the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And that's why for me, it's kind of a, you know, there's a big kind of shrug factor to, to a lot of this. Shruggy emoji um, and keep it moving. Shruggy, shruggy emoji. Um, and, and the little magnifying glass emoji <laughs> guy or whatever. Um, because uh, again, like you've got a ton of Spurs coaches and the Spurs offense has been, you know, prehistoric in terms of its shot chart the last couple of years so i sure as hell hope that they don't believe that is a great archetype for an nba offense mm-hmm. um and but i guess i guess the the advantage of the other thing that the budenholzer has is he has the the spurs sheen from being a former assistant and actually he was an assistant sort of when the spurs were maybe more of the spurs and kind of played more of that attractive basketball and again not that they have become selfish or like they don't move the ball anymore. I mean, they still do a lot of those things. They just don't get good shots and they <laughs> play in kind of weird ways. Um, so anyway, it, yeah, it's interesting, but it does seem like he's sort of the kind of guy that people have sort of locked in on as, as or anchored on as sort of the safe option. And, you know, for those reasons of probably, well, he once won 60 games and he used to be a Spurs coach. And, um, you know, uh, I, I don't think fans care about it, but as we said, there's also the interesting dynamic of maybe he's a lot more signable and financially there's a advantage to, to going after a guy who 
has $14 million in his back pocket the next two years. And, <laughs> and again, I don't know what that means for what his contract will look like, but it certainly stands to reason that that is an advantage for anybody signing him that you may be able to underpay him maybe the next couple of years because he's got, you know, again, an offset and he'll get $7 million regardless of what, what you pay him. So, um, so yeah, I, that, that seems like maybe it's, but obviously there's a lot of questions as well. And, you know, we, we really didn't talk about his tenure as when he became president of basketball operations there. And obviously ultimately that was stripped away from him. Um, but that that's obviously, I'm sure, a uh, an interesting point of reference for John Hurst, <laughs> considering he is the general manager. And um, again, I I feel like the president of basketball operations is like the most. Uh, what's the word? What 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 is what is the 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 Pobo title? Um, it, it's sort of become a, taken on a mind of its own in sort of Bucks Twitter, Bucks fandom, um, because there's sort of the perpetual desire to have a Pobo. But it, I don't know. I feel like it just sort of re- results in a lot of confusing arguments where people are sort of arguing different things. Um, it's but it's supposed to be there. like the fixer, right? Like it's supposed to be the solution to um, the solution to owner meddling, right? Like if you have the strong pobo, uh, then you don't have to worry about ownership meddling, and that's the decision maker, and you know then all that other stuff will go away. And it's been so funny to me because it's just like, they still exist. Like the owners would still be there. It's not like they would just like, you could do the exact same thing with John Horace. Like if you just stop meddling, then the general manager would be that person. Like that would be your, your lead basketball decision maker. If you enabled him to be that. So you don't need a president of basketball operations to, do that for you like you could just let your general manager do that and like i don't know there's just there's this strange title um kind of fascination that goes along with president of basketball operations that means all of a sudden meddling owners will stop being meddling owners when meddling owners could stop being meddling owners whenever there's really there's really nothing that would suggest that bringing in one more cook into the kitchen means, oh, done meddling. It's over now. Like, I don't know. It, it has been kind of weird to see that fascination. But with Boonholzer bringing that up, like, I just feel like, I mean, this is what I said. I don't know how long ago we talked about this. Like, the organizational hierarchy needs to get figured out. And bringing in someone, uh, who previously was a president of basketball operations, who has a ton of experience, who had to have that power stripped away from him. I mean, that this is a I'm the captain now kind of moment, right? Because like, I would assume his contract would be longer and larger than John Horst's contract, and it might be larger by... A significant uh, number. Like, there's there's a chance that on a yearly basis that that coach contract could be, I don't know, three times, four times larger than the John Horst general manager uh, contract. So I, I mean, well, wait a wait a minute. I mean, Budenholzer is getting seven million next year, regardless, right? John Horst, what makes a half million? So sure, you're yeah. already at you're already at fourteen x there. Um, and <laughs> I was and, more thinking of like how much you would actually pay them, if that makes any sense, like with like the offset uh, in these first couple of years. But yeah, fourteen times would be <laughs> that's a lot. 
that, that's significant. And uh, again, I, I think in any in any professional sports uh, front office, I, I think we'd all be lying to ourselves if we said there was an ego, right? Like you get those positions because you have a whole lot of self confidence, and you probably have a healthy amount of ego. And man, if I'm making fourteen times the amount of money uh, that the guy that's supposed to be above me is, do I feel like I'm actually below him? Because, I mean, it's going to take a little bit more to fire me than it is to fire him. Um, Also, I've been around a little bit longer than this guy. I have more success than this guy. I have a more proven track record. Why why am I not in charge, right? So, I I don't know. It's it's something, like I said, for this process, and I mentioned this on our Coach Pod with Eric. um, I mentioned this on multiple podcasts like for me hiring assistant is the move that makes sense because it maintains the organizational hierarchy that doesn't get you in trouble um going out and hiring a proven coach with an unproven general manager that makes it a little bit more difficult i think so i I don't know it it, to me it feels like a a solution uh rife with uh potential potential problems. Uh, but it, it has been a name that is undoubtedly, I think, safe to a lot of people and something that makes them feel comfortable. And it was kind of interesting today. Our good old, our good friend, uh, Canada Bucks, uh, Willie Armstrong. I don't know what he is now because he's kind of not been, uh, a, he's not a Bucks fan anymore. So. Correct. He's kind of giving that up. But one thing he mentioned, uh, on Twitter today was just like, how do people feel about Dwayne Casey? And, I think the overwhelming kind of response to Dwayne Casey is like, no, that's he's not creative enough, and he's been, had to be told to liven up his offense. But the, he's won a bunch of games, and you know, maybe I don't know. It's weird again, where I just keep coming back to Boonholzer feels safe to everyone, um, but I think there's plenty of reason to wonder if, if he is the, the perfect candidate. Well, so, but isn't this kind of crazy though? Like, I mean, it's it's all sort of highlights the backwardness of sort of like what the Bucks have gotten themselves into. I mean, and, and to to be clear, I I was fine with going for kind of an up and coming, um, younger GM last year, except I didn't think it was going to be John Horst. Obviously, I thought it was going to be Justin Zanuck. Yeah. Um, and and really, that's where sort of like the whole Pobo obsession begins. It's sort of like, okay, Bucks, like you have a chance to you know reconfigure your front office and you know last especially during the Hammond era so much of it was marred by the weirdness of whether Jason Kidd was really the shadow GM and all that kind of nonsense and and you knew that basically I mean even when Horace was hired I mean we said it like you're not going to get a true fresh start you're not going to really get things into any type of like normal situation until Jason Kidd is gone right that was I mean we've been saying that for years um and Jason Kidd is now gone, um, and I, I think the discussion, the the, the kind of continuation of the, the the president basketball operation discussion. I mean, to me, it starts with like, well, when you when you need a GM, go hire a really good GM. I mean, that's re- I mean, basically, to me, that's what this whole argument is about. Is like, I think we should get a good GM. Yeah. And you know, a lot of when when the GM stuff started last year, you know, people I think wanted 
some super senior, well-established guy who could basically truly have the keys to the car with the franchise. Um, and I and I certainly understand that. I mean, you know, if you know, uh, pick whoever you're. You know, if if Daryl Morey is available, like, yeah, I'll take Daryl Morey in a second. Yeah. But I mean, you know, when you look at all the best sort of executives they don't really move <laughs> you know like they, they they don't right i mean you know when you go down the list of of whether it's you know um maury or danny ainge or um you know pat riley who has had kind of a rough streak i would argue the last couple of years as he's gotten older and sort of is like i'm a championship winning coach i'm not going to rebuild um but i mean those guys those guys don't just like move around for like another extra a couple million bucks or something like that. Like they, they generally kind of stick around, they stay where they are. Um, so I think it was sort of like, you know, I mean, you're never going to go hire like the best GM in the history of time um, to just come in here. Now, ultimately I think, you know, and there are debates about how good of a GM David Griffin was, but he might've been interesting and he became available sort of right when the Bucks situation was kind of blowing up. Um, but to me, the Pobo thing starts with like, we'll just go hire a really good GM. And it's like, okay, well, you know, that's, that's, typically the goal and the Bucks obviously kind of botched their whole process last year and now you have John Horst so now if you're still asking for a president of basketball operations then I think the obvious follow-up question is like well you know if you want to just say fire John Horst and bring in somebody new to bring in all of his people I mean that's an under I, th- I understand why people feel that way because I mean John Horst hasn't proven anything you know I mean he's still sure. a young guy I don't expect people to be like super confident that John Horst is the next, you know, Daryl Morey or something like that. So, um, so I understand that, but then it's also taken other dimension where some people say like they want to put in a president of basketball operation above John Horst, which to me is like, well now like, uh, what does that even mean? Like, so, you know, are you expecting that guy to actually keep all the current front office people? Do you want him to fire people? Like what, what do you even like want the guy to do? Because there it's sort of like what you were getting at, sort of like the multiple, you know, now you're just adding more cooks. And, yep. I mean, Jesus Christ, can we at least get rid of Rod Thorne first? Because, <laughs> um, you know, if there's sort of like a shadow sort of old guy who, you know, works and and is liaisoning between especially probably Wes Edens and, and, and other people, then it's probably him. I mean, I don't think that's been <laughs> – I'm, I'm going to look at the evidence and say it's probably not a positive. Um, but – um, but the other thing too is like the idea of the ownership meddling stuff. It's like ownership obviously was totally behind the Jason Kidd hiring. They were behind West Eden's in particular the botching of of the whole GM process last year. But in terms of like personnel, like I don't, I have we ever gotten like a lot of compelling evidence that that ownership is actually really influencing what John Horst or or even John Hammond was doing. I mean certainly there was a lot of talk about Jason Kidd influencing what John I mean, Hammond was doing. But is, they, is like owner is like is that an issue? Do we need a pobo because we need someone to stop ownership from saying who they should sign as free agents or draft? I, I don't think that's really it, is it? I mean largely I guess what it all comes down to is empower someone I trust. That's what yeah. Bucks fans are saying, right? Like get a good th- that's get it. someone good. Yeah. Get someone good. <laughs> And I trust them because I don't think there was anything from ownership this year that was like, hey, you should really sign Shabazz Muhammad. Like, I don't think that was a thing. Like, I don't think there was part of ownership that was like, oh, you got to go out and get 
Eric Bledsoe. No, the guy. I think John John Horst was fully empowered to be the general manager this year, and I mean, I think that is a much more healthy uh, relationship and a much healthier uh, organizational structure than has been there in the past. Right? Like we taught the reason why Jason Kidd still being around was was not ideal was because at times he had felt empowered and not ideal <laughs> very diplomatic <laughs> because he, in the past he felt empowered right and yeah. there was some question of whether or not he was the one making decisions and whether or not that took John Hammond out of it but like this off season i, I don't think there's really any question to me uh whether or not John Horst was in charge this year. And if John Horst is in charge now, like the big thing is like, and the reason why I keep talking about organizational hierarchy and making sure all of that makes sense is like, you have to have set roles and there can't be any blurred lines and ownership's biggest fault. And their form of meddling was hiring someone in Jason Kidd who disrupted all of that. They get yeah. all of it became very complicated because he was thrown into the mix and the way that he was hired and the all of that just made for a very um very complicated situation for all parties involved. But now that he's removed, I think everything makes more sense. So I, I guess uh, you're right in that I shouldn't say ownership meddling, but ownership uh enabling an unhealthy complicated situation and that yeah, that should fair. be the way yeah. that i put it like yeah and, uh, and 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 they've been involved in very they, they've basically i mean really the, the impact of ownership on sort of the basketball operations of this team has taken you know has taken the form of two very big decisions that were both very ugly and i think that's so so it feels more yeah it feels it feels way worse just because like literally the only two times that we saw ownership really insert itself into basketball decision making at least from any in any that was in any way visible to the outside world was the Jason Kidd situation which was handled really poorly and obviously proved to be a bad decision i mean firing larry drew not a bad decision believing jason kidd was you know the answer obviously that that didn't work out um, but then the decision obviously last summer and just like ownership not being able to agree on yep on 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 the GM process and, and all that. I mean that. So so two very like public, very embarrassing situations. And again, otherwise, as you said, like whatever influence they've had on basketball decision making has been very muted publicly. And and I agree. I mean, I think it's hands off. Like I don't. I think th- I think it. Yeah, I think it has been hands off. I mean, now does does ownership set a direction for the franchise that you know John Horace is trying to execute? You know, like if. I'm I'm sure that ownership is giving John Horst direction saying like, Hey, we want to be good. You know, don't, don't go trade guys for future draft picks and things like that. Right. Sure. I'm sure that that's part of it. But again, that's just sort of fundamentally part of what ownership does. Right. They say like, this is the ambition of this franchise. And again, they always talk about championships. Okay. You know, uh, fine. I, I, again, We'll see. <laughs> um, I mean, it's but, always great. I, I, yeah, I'm into I mean, championships clearly, too. Right. I mean, they're clearly not trying to rebuild, right? They're clearly on the let's be competitive and, and build around Giannis and, and be good now. And I think Giannis now is too good to kind of not be thinking that way. But by the same token, obviously, there's there's still a balancing act because 
he's 23 and you know you, you can't just be thinking about next year so anyway but yeah I think it's a it's a really interesting discussion um, and and as you were kind of discussing like your hesitation about you know hiring Budenholzer in particular it's it's kind of crazy right that the fact that you hired a really inexperienced GM might now, like you being a rational person, looks at this situation and says, you know, Budenholzer might be, and you can correct me if I'm mis- misstating any of this from your perspective, but you probably agree Budenholzer is probably like the, a safe option, you know, like a yeah. high, high, probably a higher expected value than, say, like a Nick Nurse or, or Chris Finch or whoever who, again, I, you know, had a lot of success in the G League. They've been you know, successful as assistant coaches, but have never obviously been the sitting in the main chair uh, on an NBA sideline. I mean, who knows, right? Like those guys could just suck, <laughs> like as 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 NBA head coaches. I mean, I I wouldn't expect them to, but th- there's a degree of unknown there that that it wouldn't be the case with Budenholzer. But it, it's kind of crazy, right? That that because of the Bucks and the way they've structured their front office and Horse being very young and underpaid relative to other GMs. Like the fact that you even have hesitation to pick a guy who arguably is the best candidate is kind of like just sort of speaks to just how kind of dumb the situation they've gotten themselves in is. Um, And really like, I think to that point, if instead of, not paying John Horse much, you come out and say, this is our guy. We totally believe in him. And his contract is going to reflect that. And you leak that the moment you sign him. And you let everyone know, John Horse is the man. And he got a three-year, $10 million contract or something. something. Whatever you may need. If you do that, can I ask that question anymore? Like, it's gone, right? Like, that evaporates. Like the the idea that you you might have picked the wrong guy, but like <laughs> at least you believe in you believe in him. You one hundred percent believe in him. Yeah. But by giving him no money and by going through the process that you went through, all of those questions have to continue to exist, and they they can't go anywhere. They yeah. they will stay there as long as he is one of the youngest and one of the most poorly paid general managers in the league. Like, it can't go anywhere. Wouldn't wouldn't the obvious move, it, like let's say they signed Budenholzer, wouldn't the obvious follow up move if if they're worried about this, if they really you know believe in John Horst, again like if they don't have to pay him a lot of money, it'd be on some level kind of self defeating, especially if you still have privately some doubts about him to to give him a bunch more money. Um, but even like a just a uh, it, like if you were just sort of thinking about this from a I have to sort of protect the image of of the hierarchy pairing a hiring of Budenholzer with like oh we've extended john horst a year put him on the same timeline and put him on the same time just say yeah and you give him a little bit more money right like just again like not 100 you want to not because you want to throw money you know potentially good money after bad or whatever but just so people don't think of you know Budenholzer as being like all right he's coming in here and john horst you know get ready yeah, get ready to. to you say to, these are two guys. Yeah. They're on the same timeline. They are synced up together. John Horst and Coach Y are our guys. 
We love them. We totally believe in them. And they are the future of our franchise for the next however many years your coach's contract is. Like, that's all you have to do. And that should, again, hopefully create a very clear organizational hierarchy. And, yeah, like you said, it is totally messed up that there's part of me that – and the idea of safe is interesting because, like you said – it is he would be a safe choice from a basketball kind of uh perspective on court x's and o's the belief in him being someone that can effectively coach an nba team but as far as safe goes in the organizational hierarchy and making sure everything works like he might be one of the least safe candidates to hire like he would be one of the ones that i think you'd have to worry about most because he had that power before. He's had the president of basketball operations power. And again, there was a, a number, a, a set of circumstances that led to him having it, but he had it and he didn't want to give it up. So again, if he comes in, I would think it would be logical that he would want that. So yeah, I don't know. Like to me, that's, that's the big question this off season is, and I've said this over and over again, organizational hierarchy. I will talk about it every moment of these podcasts if i need to but i just think that's the thing that matters this offseason like uh, empowering your leadership empowering your basketball leadership your basketball coach that he is in charge of that empowering your basketball decision maker making sure that he knows that he is in charge of that making sure your basketball coach knows that your basketball decision maker is in charge and making sure that that relationship makes sense and then making sure that all of them know like what your goals are and how you want to do that like all of those things matter greatly this off season and um i'm curious how much those things are being thought of because i just think it's huge for the future of this franchise i i mean part and parcel to this I think like as we've been describing this, we've sort of been describing it almost in terms of like ownership making this hire. And I mean, we don't know that. I mean, John Horst is the public face of this GM search or this coaching search right now. Yeah. And there have been only a couple of, so the, the John Horst media availability did not happen. It happened in the form of, you know, the Matt Velasquez piece uh, over the weekend. And it happened in the form of a, bucks.com Q&A which was you know again but I think both the Journal Sentinel piece and the bucks.com piece I mean they're you know pretty much fluff right like some background on why they're going to display all the traits that you want them to display as they go through this process patiently and gathering all the information you want and blah 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 Um, but really not telling you anything of interest you know we don't we don't know who is sitting in on interviews. We don't know how they're structuring them. We don't know the questions they're asking. Um, you know, John Horst did have a reference to wanting, you know, a coach who will relate well to players and development and, you know, a good X's and O's guys, you know, kind of like we want a coach who does all things well. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds I good. I believe that. Yeah. Um, but nothing, you know, again, like we don't, I don't say, wouldn't say we know a whole lot. Um, but it, I think that is a really key sort of ingredient into all this is, if John Horst is indeed the lead lead sort of piece, the lead guy in making this decision, and it's not, you know, 
Wes Edens and Mark Lazary and God forbid, you know, Rod Thorne inserting himself into this again. Um, that's important too, though, right? Because if, if Mike Budenholzer feels like he strikes up a good working relationship during the interview process with, with John Horst and feels like John Horst is the guy who, you know, is the guy who really wants to bring me in. Th- I mean, that is, that matters a lot, right? That yeah. is probably the single biggest thing that can lead to a, a positive process, right? Because, um, again, if, the two of them feel like, okay, we're in this together. And it was, it's been interesting in both of those pieces. Uh, Horst has sort of referenced the coach being sort of like the third leg in a stool with him and Peter Fagan as sort of the representative of the business side, uh, which is interesting because it sort of implies a degree of partnership with between the head coach and the GM um, from the basketball side, and then as well as the business side, Peter, being Peter Fagan, um, that you know you wouldn't have to phrase it that way, right? Like nominally, the GM is sort of the leader of the basketball operations. The coach typically works at his leisure, um, but clearly there is more of a you know collaborative tone, let's say, being struck here. And again, we'll see we'll see if that is reality, because certainly that has not <laughs> under Kid that that did not seem to obviously be. Um, something that that necessarily took place, or or that type of, you know, idyllic situation was was never kind of realized. So, um, so yeah, I think uh, did did we just manage? Yeah, we've managed to talk like fifty minutes about <laughs> the same things we've been talking about for a while. So I, I guess I don't know. It's a it's a really interesting topic. I think it gets to obviously the core of you know the the biggest variable. Uh, in the Bucks next, certainly next season and, and the next couple of years, really in a lot of ways, in terms of wh- where this team will go and um, its ability to live up to its potential, and also gets at a lot of the kind of nagging power structure questions, which are especially difficult to comment on, just because so much of it is behind closed doors, and, and obviously only parts of it have kind of played out in public. But Obviously, those parts have not been particularly positive from, you know, at least last summer's perspective. So, uh, so yeah, it is really interesting. By the way, the the one thing I'm shocked, I'm shocked. Maybe someone somewhere has probably mentioned it, but we have not. I have not noticed anybody else mention it. But Eric, I'll, I'll put you on the spot. I'll Steve on Horn. So speaking of Steve on oh, Horn, Steve is... would always, Steve would always like pop me questions without without a warning to try to, you know see where my head was at this is more of just a little like quiz but Atlanta Hawks Mike Budenholzer the return of Mike Bud- well not the return but the if Mike Budenholzer were to come to Milwaukee there's a very good chance that a former Milwaukee Buck would return with him as an assistant coach a beloved former Buck can you tell me which former Buck that would be? Do you, do you know who I'm talking about? I wish I could come down with two hands on this microphone right now to really <laughs> let you know how well I know, uh, but that would be Darvin Ham. Yes. How have we not talked about <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it bizarre that Darvin Ham became like a successful assistant coach? Like, didn't he always and seem he, kind of just like too much of a just like, you know, zero IQ dunker to, to be a, an assistant coach? But shout out to Darvin Ham. And like, he's turned into like, a, a really good assistant coach. Like everyone in Atlanta raves about him. Like I, I'm trying to think whose assistant coach list. I don't know if it was Kevin Arnovitz's, um, but someone else had mentioned that he's a guy that like people are kind of taking a look at. And 
like and then this year the like did you see the thing Fox Sports Southwest or whatever Atlanta's affiliate came out about the hammer play? No. Like, okay, so you know how in the past I've talked about how George Carl was incredible because like he ran hammer sets for Ray Allen. And if you don't know what a hammer set is, like backside hammer would be a flare screen from a, a post player low to a guard on the high side, on the weak side, and then that guard goes for a corner three, and then you have a post player or a driver throw a baseline pass over to that corner. Spurs made it famous with Manu Ginobili. Um, they've ran hammer sets for him for years. But George Carl used to run one for Ray Allen. And I tweeted out a while back when I was watching like a Bucks class game. I was like, was that a hammer set? Like, is that, who ran hammer sets before that? And I, like, I didn't really know anything uh, about it. And I was trying to find an earlier example of it. And Fox Sports Southwest did a special on it with Darvin Ham, and it was called a hammer set, not because of what appears to be a hammer on the backside. Like if you draw out the pass and like the screening angle, that that looks like a hammer if it's drawn out. They called it a hammer set because it was Darvin Ham that made the pass originally. Like the first time they ran it was with Darvin Ham as the post player who threw the pass to Ray Allen, who was getting the flare screen on the backside, and then it turned into George Caro calling it the hammer set. And that was what they called it the rest of the season. And they did it because because George Carl thought Darvin Ham was a strong enough passer and had the IQ to do that. And it blew my mind. I'll tweet it out for everyone uh, tomorrow. But I, I, my world was shook <laughs> because I never in a million years knew that the hammer said, and again, this could be a claim uh, that Darvin Ham is making now. That's not true, but I don't, I can't imagine that would be the case. Like, so the hammer set is named after Darvin Ham. It's either true or it should be on Snopes as like a you know urban legend. Um, <laughs> either way, but there's yeah. a, they did like a four minute special on a Fox Sports Southwest. So I will I'll read I'll tweet that out for everyone. But yeah, Darvin Ham could possibly be coming back if Mike Boonholzer uh, would be the guy, and that would kind of be cool because I know they said Darvin Ham really did a nice job with the player development there. Um, and I know every game he's at in Milwaukee, he's out there getting a sweat in. And I know I've talked to him before a couple games, and he's his time is always very valuable. Like I'll, I'll get him for two minutes. He'll be like, Oh man, I got to go and go do something and then come back. So, uh, that'd be interesting. Good connection, Frank. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, as you, as you sort of said, I mean, he, he was the lead assistant for Budenholzer the last two years. It's not yeah. like he was just some, you know, guy sitting on the second row of the bench or something like that. I mean, he, he was the lead assistant after Kenny Atkinson left for, uh, the, the Brooklyn job. So, um, yeah, it's impressive. Shout out to Darvin Ham. Um, really, you know, again, kind of turning himself into uh, obviously a really well-respected coach, and um, certainly a, an interesting question if uh, if uh, if if he were to come here. And and interesting, I mean, Ham has been noted as a potential candidate in Atlanta, um, but again, I, I don't know. I I, I've, I was just sort of as I was looking around uh, on the topic of Darwin, I saw that, but I don't feel like I've heard a whole lot more about that but again that wouldn't be shocking if with fizz with a uh, budenholzer leaving if they maybe with a rebuilding team obviously their their focus has mostly been connected with 
um, assistance. So it, it would be interesting to see if uh, if maybe Ham would get hired on for the full time job. I'm, I'm obviously not tracking that job as as well as uh, the Bucks or, or any of the other ones, but um, but yeah, an interesting one there. And we should we should note as Whoa, well, he was on Artovitz's list last year. There you go. Um, he was a. Uh, uh, one, I guess, did we mention it? I don't think we've mentioned it, but um, Charlotte apparently on the verge of signing uh, James Borrego from the Spurs. So one of the Spurs assistants. So now there are only 23 Spurs employees <laughs> interviewing for the job of uh, of head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. It was funny um, when I mentioned it this morning and saw that. I tweeted something out about, like, I'm curious how this process works now. Like, do the Bucks just have a list of 10 that they had and those are the only 10 that they felt were worth qual- qualified for like an interview? Like were those the only 10 that were uh, worth talking to? Because now with Fisdale leaving um, or Fisdale going to New York, excuse me, and Brego taking the job in Charlotte, like there are two people that are off the list. So like do other people fill in? Like are there other assistants um, that now get a chance or other coaches or uh, – Again, like Stan Van Gundy got fired, Dwayne Casey might get fired. Like, do those guys get added to the list then? Like, how does all that work? So, I was curious about that. And when I said that, uh, Eric Benning tweeted it and said, Well, it must mean it's M.A. Udoka's turn now. Um, and I was like, oh, Damn it. Um, yep, you're probably right. Uh, just a fill in one Spurs assistant for another one. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about, I mean, you know, again, like, I don't, I don't know why you would like artificially constrain yourself. Like, I guess if if you know you, you had let's say five candidates and you know your top two let's say uh, ended up getting jobs that they took and and so suddenly you know you were left with a really shorter list and you maybe lost guys that you really wanted then I think maybe you'd say wow I re- we should really like potentially expand our list but given the Bucks had a bunch of people in the original list um, obviously we've talked about some of the people we would have want in- wanted to include and again maybe there's always been the assumption that, you know, the Finches and nurses would eventually get interviewed. I, you know, and I don't know, we haven't seen them listed. Um, but I don't know. It would seem a little weird if like James Borrego dropping out suddenly means like, Oh, now we have the bandwidth to go interview Nick nurse. You know, it's like, you know, I I mean, I don't think Borrego was at the top of their list to begin with. Right. So to, um, to start kind of calling up new guys, um, I don't know. It would suggest to me that the original list was artificially constrained in the first place, which I think would be a mistake. Um, Agreed. Interesting. Interesting. Do you looking at, I think it's interesting, right? That like everybody who, you know, has set foot in the city of San Antonio is like getting interviews. I kind of wonder. um, And I first thought about this last year when, you know, the Bucks had no interest, uh, no, apparently no interest at all in, in interviewing Sam Hankey for the GM job. Um, I don't know if Sam Hankey would have had an interest anyway. Um, but, you know, I think at the time I, I remember thinking like that's that shows like a degree of closed mindedness that even if you, you know, decided you didn't want to hire Sam Hankey for your GM job, like, you know, again, I, I think you want to talk to people with different perspectives and different approaches. And, um, you know, I, 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 I let's just say this. I was not impressed by the apparent unwillingness to even consider Sam Hankey, which probably isn't shocking again with Rod Thorne's former role in in philly and and i don't know it let's just say i'm i would not be surprised at all if rod thorne did not want to have sam hinky involved in the process but um but in general 
Nurse and uh, Finch are former Rockets G League coaches, right? They were yep. they were formerly in Houston. Um, Hinky was formerly in Houston. Um, there are others in 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 Houston that um, oh, I'm trying to think. What what is the guy's name? He has a really strange last name. Is it? Oh, I'm not. I'm now. I'm going to try to. He's he's one of the the front office ex- executives. Uh, I'm going to get this in a second. Um, but I thought it was interesting. Like the Bucks. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but do the Bucks like? I don't know. I kind of. I wouldn't be shocked. Like as much as they seem to be you know seduced by all things spurs um i kind of wonder like is there kind of an anti-rockets kind of vibe in the box i don't know i'm totally speculating here hmm. no idea true maybe nick nurse and, and chris finch interview you know next week or something like that but um but i don't know it's interesting i mean daryl Morey has rubbed certainly many people the wrong way over the years um with his style, uh, that and, would be not, very disappointing if that was the case. I, yeah, I, 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 I truly know. hope that there is not any sort of anti rockets, uh, sort of bias going on in the Bucks front office because that would, yeah, that would hurt. It would be right, and it would be very, it would be a very, you know, self defeating, I would say, yeah. if, uh, if that was in fact the case. Um, but, but yeah, um, I, I don't know, just something that crossed my mind. Um, and again, I have no basis in fact, but, uh, that just kind of kind of came to mind, but um, anyway, um, I think we're good. That's all I got. Yeah, I, I think we had talked about a bunch of stuff that we were going to talk about it uh, during this podcast, and I don't think at the top of the list was uh, organizational hierarchy and all of that, but it it happened. Oh, so Gerson that- Rosas, Gerson Rosas, that was the guy I was thinking of. He like <laughs> remember he like went to the Mavs for like yeah. very briefly and then returned to the Rockets. Um, Actually, now I'm, now I'm trying to see if he was ever. Oh, this is going to be a this is a teaser for tomorrow's episode. Find out what Frank finds out um, on tomorrow's not, episode not, of Locked on Bucks. I'm not seeing Gerson Rosas ever. I wanted to confirm that he was not linked with the Bucks last summer because that would totally blow up my little conspiracy <laughs> theory. Um, so anyway, find find me find me an example of the Bucks having interest in anyone affiliated with the Rockets ever, and oh. uh, and I'll 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 retire my little conspiracy theory. <laughs> All right, that's going to be it for us for today on Lockdown Bucks. For Frank Ben, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.